Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Yo, yo, yo. It's your boy, David Speedy and Adam Braz in the house. Cool. I've told you not to do this. (laughs) It's my my hip-hop intro. Would you say you've been inspired by this week's guests by any chance? Um, Yes, absolutely. I'm now freestyling everything that I say. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I think people will just turn off the podcast right now if we try. You know, actually, but like, do you know I do have a rap career, right, behind me? I've heard little bits about this over the years, and I know you used to break dance, and it was probably around then, and it probably involved the Black Sheep Bar in Croydon, but uh, I don't know. Did, I don't know too much about it. So it's not something that I am particularly proud of or talk about. Um, but me and Paul Elliot, who was on the show uh, on a very early episode, we decided that we were rappers when we were about eighteen. We managed to get, I don't know how it happened, but we managed to get a pirate radio station. Like, well, like a show on a pirate radio station, but like on a legit, like a legit station. Um, it was called Kick FM in Crawley. And uh, yeah, once a week we had uh, we had the hip hop show and uh, I used to go on there. <sighs> There's probably some cassette tapes somewhere of that, but hopefully no, they'll never get uncovered. Anyone who's heard them has probably just burnt them thinking this no, is... you're probably right. It's better to right. destroy the atmosphere than for anyone to have to listen to these. It's funny though, isn't it? I mean, obviously we're taking the piss and obviously I would have completely sucked as a bloody rapper. But like, if I'd kept going, then... Yeah, you would have got good. <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. sucks when they start. And I think, um, yeah, talking to this week's guest, you realise that, yes, at the start of any rap career, you're going to sound stupid. And it's only through persevering because like unless you go through the stage of being bad for a certain amount of time you're never going to get to the good stage like you don't get like anyone who you meet who seems good like they've definitely been doing it for a while and they've they've probably sucked in their bedroom for quite a while yeah it goes again to the thing that i've spoken about before but natural talent that uh, like other than other than your genetics which are something that you can't control um i really do feel that if you have the the I suppose it comes down to two factors, which are time and the the will to, yeah. to want to do something. Because if you've got the will to like really, really want to succeed at something, then you will put the time into it. And just over time, even if you're not naturally gifted at that thing to begin with, because even singing, I feel like even singing can be trained. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just, yeah, it's just practice of how you're moving your vocal cords in the same way as like developing your body through sport. It's it's just repetition. I think it's a really good point there about the fact that is the repetition of doing it again and again. For example, my girlfriend's learning Spanish at the moment, like through an app on her phone, and she's doing half an hour a day. And I was like, actually, if you did that, obviously I turned it into a maths equation because that's what I do with everything. (laughs) But I was like, if you did that half an hour a day every day for a year. That would be effectively working for, I think it's about two months worth of if you were at work, like nine to five. So like just by doing something half an hour a day, that's like putting two months worth of working work into whatever it is you're doing. And I think all it takes is those little bits every single day that makes a huge difference when it all adds up together. Yeah. And I suppose it's, it's when you miss days that that's when 
things get out of control. It's having that discipline to to keep something up every single day. Yeah. And I suppose it's like that's where it comes down to wanting. If you want it enough, if you yeah. are happy, like if you enjoy doing it, you're not doing it. Like, for example, like she's learning a language, not for any reason apart from the fact that she wants to do it. It's not like she's trying to make money off it. Yeah. It's not like it's going to, there's plans for it to lead anywhere or even to move to that country. It's just, I just want to do it because she's doing it for herself. Yeah. And really that's the the purest way of of learning anything yeah definitely i feel like yeah if you can do it for yourself and not for other people that's that's essential yeah so i had i had a, a lot of fun um recording this episode um it's i mean it's not really about hip-hop at all it's it's about the the it's about what we've just been talking about it's about the process and there's there was a couple of things in the episode there's there's one thing that i want to call attention to is a small detail but I, I think it might be missed and and that's just how harry used to work in a call center and how much what he learned there informed what he did going forward. Yeah. And and I think that's so it's so valuable that when people are stuck in dead end jobs or they're doing something that's not fulfilling them, to realize that they're probably like even in a call he's working in a call center, like that is brutal, but it's still giving him life skills going forward. Yeah, there's skills you can learn in no matter what you're doing that can be used in so many different areas. And I think that's why it's important to no matter what you're doing, even if you're not enjoying your current job or whatever whatever it is, to put all your effort into it because by putting that effort in, that's when you're going to learn more things and you're going to get more out of it. And even if you are somewhere where you're not particularly happy, maybe asking a manager or someone higher than you to give you more stuff, to give you things that you haven't done before because it's like, Every opportunity is a chance to learn and you don't know how, like it's easy to connect the dots going backwards, but not going forwards. Like you don't know where your life's going to take you. And if you put the effort in now, even though it might be something that's not related to anything you're ever going to do in your life, there will be something you can take from that. And you you can train yourself on other people's money as well. So if you're, if you're working somewhere and you're, you're shy and you want to get better at like speaking to people or presenting or something like that, then just say, oh, can I go on cust? Can I be on customer service? I want to deal. Like, put yourself in that situation of it's going to be out of your comfort zone. It's not going to be something that you particularly want to do, but you can get paid by someone else to build those skills up. Yeah, we talk a lot when we do talks about how growth and comfort can't coexist, and I think that's a perfect example of that. It's like looking at areas where you don't feel particularly comfortable, where you definitely could grow. And then ask someone else to put you in one of those scenarios or put yourself in one of those scenarios because you're just going to learn from it. Yeah. I mean, Harry was a was a quiet kid that was taught to be more confident through phoning people up and having the phone like put down on him yeah. a bunch of times. It's like that's that's invaluable training. And, and who knows if he would have his career if he hadn't done that. It's really interesting. A music career as well. Like you need to get used to a no because you're going to get so many along the way. And the quicker you can get used to people saying no to you and that not disheartening you and making you stop like the sooner you can get over that the better definitely definitely so yeah we uh we loved this this episode um i suppose another thing that that popped up for me was um was the fact that during this this pandemic it's really shown how unstable so many jobs are yeah um and for us like we have we have one company that although it's very creative and and non-traditional it is set up as like the formula of it is a very like traditional company structure and actually because all, all of our clients are also in that same boat all of a sudden that went dry we didn't have much work coming from that and it was actually the podcast that started earning money for us yeah and and i think that 
Harry's shown that his career as a freestyle rapper, a ridiculous job, is actually more stable than everyone who's in a nine to five who told him that he was being crazy for going after being a rapper. Yeah, I think that the way the world is right now, it's just completely shed light on how valuable like different people's skills are and the fact that even before lockdown had happened, he was already starting to do live streams and then it just, because he'd already made the effort to go and do that, then as soon as lockdown started, he's like, cool, I'm just going to like double, triple down on this. And it's again, I feel like it's, it's worth dipping your toes into so many different areas to learn different things because you never know where they're going to go. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, the fact that you don't know what the future is going to hold. So just put as much effort as you can into whatever you're doing now because that might massively benefit you in the future. Yeah, definitely. So we did a speaking gig this week and I for, for anyone listening who who is a speaker or has that kind of element to their business or it's something that they, they think they want to get into, like the pandemic has changed everything. It's like if you're listening to us now in another country, you can book us for a speaking gig because yeah. no longer is there a a stigma behind presenting to to your team on Zoom. So we did a we presented to a whole team about creativity in the workplace, um, an hour long talk and Q and A session, and like it was really valuable. We like we really enjoyed it. They got a lot out of it. We got sort of all of the feedback afterwards, and like we like that just wouldn't have happened before the pandemic you, yeah. the opportunity for us to be sat in our houses but also going to work at the same time like just wasn't possible just thinking about it now it makes me really excited like i love the fact that we managed to talk to some people for an hour and then after they got so hyped up and such with all these different creative ideas of what they can do in their business and that's like that's amazing that that wouldn't have happened well we, i suppose we would have gone to talk to them in person but it is the fact that we can just from anywhere be able to do that and inspire so many people, even though we're not in the room with them, which I suppose is very similar to what this podcast is, but to be able to just take that to another level and like help people like on mass within their specific business is yeah, it's just great. Yeah. It's the one. So yeah, if you, if you do work somewhere and you would like to book us to um, speak to your team about creativity, then uh, give us a shout. Cause we'd, uh, we'd, we love doing it. Yeah. It, it just feels like the world is, the innovation is now it's it's like breaking yeah. point and and everyone is so open to doing new stuff it's really it's it's a really exciting time if you can if you can follow that path and think of new ideas like it's it's a great time the innovation that's formed as well during this current period i think that it's if you can create something that is sustainable in this current climate then as soon as like the economy kicks back into action again you're going to be in such a better position so yeah anything you can innovate or create now or get started with now like you're just going to set yourself up so much better for the future. And one thing I think is really interesting is the way that Harry Max managed to like innovate what is effectively just rapping, but taking that into so many different ways in terms of like doing mass live streams where people are just throwing out random words and he's just turning them into raps. Like this episode is so interesting. Yeah, I I know we say every week, but it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Um, we had we had a really good time with this one and uh we, yeah, we said to Harry afterwards, we just feel like he's a mate. Yeah. And you, you sort of just get that vibe. Really, like, really interesting stories. And I think uh, people will get a lot from this. So uh, this week's guest is Harry Mack. He is a freestyle rapper. Harry started freestyling at 12 years old. He sucked, but his love of music inspired him to keep practicing. Harry is now recognized as one of the best in the world. He performs complex raps based on random words that are thrown to him by a crowd. He's built his career through a series of viral videos, allowing his passion to become a viable career. 
In this episode, we talk about making money online, the secret to success, and self-belief. I would rather believe that it's possible to, to achieve something unbelievably awesome and just keep believing that than give up and subscribe to some sort of structure. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the show from America. Oh man, thank you guys so much for having me. Excited to be here. I'm um, so Harry. Does it still blow your mind that um, this is your job? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I think my goal for a long time has been to support myself through music alone, and you know, I've been fortunate that I've been able to do that for the last seven or eight years now. Before I was rapping primarily, you know, as my main gig, I'm, my background is as a jazz drummer, you know, and even that, you know, that it was a struggle to get to the point where I could quit my day job and just play drums full time. That was a huge process to get there. But yeah, I mean, to be completely honest with you before, like three years ago, when the Harry Mack freestyle stuff kind of started popping off, I never would have thought that this could be my primary mode as a creative is, is freestyling. I, I, um, but I'm super happy that that's how it's turned out to work. It's insane, isn't it? So, I yeah. mean, you've obviously, like, all of your life, I guess, has been kind of heading towards, like, you always knew it was going to be music because um, yeah. your your kind of life decisions of choosing to study and become a drummer and all of that sort of stuff was kind of, was leading you towards music. So I guess did you, you always had a vision of that would be where you would end up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've been in love with music since I was a little kid. I always knew that, you know, regardless of anything else that, you know, the thing that I most wanted to spend my time on was music, you know? So I think even if uh, I wasn't able to make it my career, I would have just been coming home from work and giving all my time to music, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's uh, it's always been my favorite thing to do, period. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that I'm able to do it as my actual career. And what was it about music that really drew you into it? Man, I don't know. It's like, you know, I guess when I was a baby, like I would like bang rhythms on the high chair tray <laughs> and stuff like that. And like my parents told me like, you know, my dad would play me these like tapes with like old blues singers like Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. That was like the first music I was exposed to. I would just like crawl up to the speaker and like put my face next to like Muddy Waters and stuff and like listen to it. They said they would like, you know, those songs would come on the radio like at the house yeah. and I would stop everything and like just start vibrating and stuff. So I th I mean, I don't know. I think it's just like it's in me, man, you know, somewhere in my in my bones. It's like I just have always sort of been drawn to it and fascinated by it. And yeah, you know, I started on the violin, which my parents kind of like picked that. It was like, you know, I want to play an instrument. And they're like, cool, how about the violin? And I was seven and I was like, yeah, let's do it, <laughs> you know. And, and then uh, shifted over to the drums, like when I was in fifth grade. And that's about the time that I started like writing rhymes and, and starting to rap and stuff. And I just loved it, man, from the very beginning. It sounds like your your family was really supportive. Has there ever been anyone in your life who's been like, uh, don't be silly like being a musician is not a real job or any of those kind of naysayers yeah i mean i'm lucky my family has been super supportive the whole time they were always like you know go chase the dream and stuff but yeah i mean i've been like in relationships you know like i have like a you know like an ex-girlfriend who was like you know sort of like when do we know how it's all gonna work you yeah. know and i was like yo like 
we don't ever really know how it's all going to work or if it's all going to work, you know, and uh, I'm on board for that. And, you know, she wasn't. And that's that's understandable. I mean, I can't even hold that against anybody because, I mean, kind of like you said it like on paper it's not a great idea <laughs> to try to be a full-time creative you know um so people who are more like well i need structure i need planning i need to see how this is all going to work it doesn't really work that way for us so it, it can be it's difficult a, it's that it's a difficult time isn't it when you're when you're sort of in your early 20s it's like if you're dating in your 30s like people know what right. they're getting. It's like, okay, right. I can see you're on your path and I can see what successes you're you're having. But like when you're in your early 20s or, or younger and right. you might have a vision, but it's very difficult when there's no kind of actual achievements to then get especially like a significant other to take you seriously and be like, no, no, this is the this is the thing I want to do. Because I right. remember for me, like saying to girlfriends, it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do graffiti art for my job. And they just were like, well, all right, mate, just, it just doesn't sound serious. Yeah. It's hard, right. isn't it? When you're, when you're young and you try and convince people like that this is real. And I think right. that's a struggle that like I definitely came across it as well with my girlfriend. Like we started when we started our business, it's like we had no money and doing it again and again and again for like months, for years, and there's still nothing coming in, but you knowing that there's that belief of like, this is gonna be something. I right. think it's really hard to get across to someone else a belief that they can't see. Right, 100%, 100%. And that's, I think like in the beginning, like like you're saying in your early 20s before you really have anything to show for it, it's like, you know, you're, it's, it's often kind of lonely because you're the only one that knows, mm -hmm. you know, in your heart that it is going to work. But no one else would have any evidence of that or, or any reason necessarily to put faith in that. And it's not their world, but it's your world and, and you know. And, and so, yeah, that, that part can be tough, definitely. And how important do you think it is to have that belief in yourself at that age? I think that it's the whole thing. I think it's the most important thing. Yeah, I think that the only way that it ends up working is to have that belief. And that belief is somewhat irrational. You know, I mean, we're all a little crazy to have decided that we're just going to put all our eggs in this basket, so to speak. And just like, you know, just say, fuck it, let's go 100 percent like believe in it. It's like, you know, I love that saying leap and the net will appear, you know, like we just like ran off the cliff yeah. and uh, just went for it. And so I think that if, if you don't do that, then you'll never actually end up being in a position where, you know, you're living your dream. Yeah, I feel like the cliff metaphor is just such a great example because right. there's like I like to think of it as like if you walk up and stand at the tip of the cliff looking over, you're right. never going to jump. But if you just like takes three steps back, don't even right. look and just run. Right. You you will go and it will be fine. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And what I think is important to to kind of get across like it it like you might hit a few rocks and branches on the way down. Like right. it's it's it might not just be this smooth glide. I'm I'm running with the metaphor here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. But yeah, yeah it, I love it, it. cuz Adam loves a metaphor. Oh, but um, it, <laughs> Me too. it it might not just be that clean glide down. It it might be bumpy and there might be turbulence and but that's what forms the journey and that's what that's what kind of keeps you like if it was just plain gliding then it wouldn't be worth it. It's like it's like, right. like those struggles are what make us, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And the challenge is what's so compelling, I think, a lot of the time, you know? I mean, aside from the fact that I'm just obsessed with music and always have been, I also really enjoy the fact that, like, 
it's not supposed to work on paper, you know, but yet here I am. And it's kind of like being able to sort of push against that challenge and find your way. And like, yeah, like you say, you hit all kinds of rocks and snags along the way and you get beat up and bruised up. And there's times where you're like, man, maybe I, maybe this won't work. You know, that little voice of like, oh, maybe I should quit. You know, like this is so difficult. There's, t- there's phases like that. And then um, the fact that you don't quit and, and push through it, I think that's the whole thing. That's what makes an artist, in my opinion. Is there, a, you know. is there ever been a point where you literally thought, actually, I don't know if I can do this anymore? Definitely. A bunch of times, to be real with you. Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of times. I mean, but I don't know if it was like any like specific moment, like because this happened, I felt that way. Yeah. It was more just like, I'm broke. You know, I've been broke for years. Like, you know, like when I was playing drums, it's like you do like three or four terrible gigs in a row and you're just packing your drums up and dragging them to the car. Your body's sore. You're dragging your drums again. You're like mad at the drums. You're mad at the gig. It's kind of like, yo, what is this? You know? And so, yeah, I've, I've gone through plenty of phases where it was like, I don't know if I can do this, but those phases never last. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, they often predict sort of like the next evolution I've found. It's like when I'm feeling that way, it's like, oh, if I can just stick this out right around the corner, it's kind of like the next the next level up, you know? Yeah, I always think like, if you're willing to go that bit further than someone else, that's when, right. that's when the win happens. It's like, because you know, if you're gonna hit that point, most people are probably gonna give up there. So if you can push through right. that, you're, it's basically like whoever wins is the, the last one surviving because everyone else exactly. is just dropped along on the way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's the whole thing, right? Is like, as cliche as it as it sounds, it's like, you know, the people who succeed in the end are just the people who don't give up. Yeah. Period. You know, it's so true. Yeah. It's a small community of people that do music, you know, like, I, I still know a lot of my friends from like growing up who who play music and stuff like that. And people I've met along the way, it's it's kind of a small community, and it gets smaller all the time. You know, because not everyone can stick it out and hang with it. And, and that's fine, you know, and it's not, it's not like, oh, they, you know, they're weak. They couldn't do it. It's, I, I understand, you know, it's super, super difficult and it's not for everyone, but. And what do you think the difference is between those people who do carry on and the people who quit? That's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is maybe we're, we're believers, you know? So I would rather believe that it's possible to, to achieve something unbelievably awesome and just keep believing that, then give up and subscribe to some sort of structure. It's just like, if this is the only life that I get to live, you know, I would rather just have faith in something awesome and see if I can manifest it. Because what's the difference? You know, I mean, I could go with a structured path and then, you know, we're overdue for a huge earthquake in LA, you know, not to mention coronavirus right now. (laughs) Like People with stable jobs are getting laid off left and right, you know, like stable jobs, ironically, I'm okay because I'm live streaming freestyle raps on the internet. And that's kind of a big part of my job. You know what I mean? So it's like, you never know when stability is kind of an illusion. So I think the people who stick it out are just the people who would rather believe in something awesome and try it. And yeah, I think it's just, and we're probably a little crazy. Maybe the people (laughs) who succeed are just a little crazier than the average person. So they're willing to take those risks. Um, I don't know how you'd feel about this, but because it because it feels to me specifically with music, but I, I guess it's for all creative pursuits really, is you get the people who don't like fully commit. They're like half in, 
and I feel like it's the people that actually kind of go that extra step of of taking that that like full jump into it that yeah. are more successful than the ones who don't fully commit. I agree a thousand percent. You know, I mean, I used to work at a call center. It was a horrible, horrible soul sucking job. Uh, and it was basically like calling the alumni from, you know, my college. And uh, I was still working there after college, you know, which was very depressing because there would be like fresh <laughs> freshmen from the college like started to it was like a campus job. But they let me stick around because I was struggling, you know, and so it was terrible. It was basically telemarketing. I mean, it was fundraising, but it was basically telemarketing and just getting hung up on all day. And, you know, but I, I felt like I needed that job. I mean, I did need that job technically at the time to just pay my rent and everything. And I was gigging and trying to do more gigs and I was teaching drum lessons and just like really scraping by and piecing it together. And it got to a point where I was just like, I can't keep doing this job. Like it's destroying me, you know, like from the inside out. And, and I felt like it was just standing in the way of me succeeding in music. And it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I was talking to my dad at one point and I was like, yeah, you know, I think I got to quit the call center job. And he, you know, like a good, father i guess was like you know okay cool just make sure you line up you know something else that's gonna yeah. replace that income you know or whatever and i was like yeah 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 you know whatever and then a couple of weeks later without having anything lined up i just quit the call center job because i was like what does that even mean you know to line the next thing up i don't think it's possible to line anything else up just I don't have the mental energy or like the spiritual energy to do anything while I have this horrible job standing in the way of my path. And so, you know, even though it looked completely stupid on paper and completely irresponsible on paper, I quit the job. And again, it's that like leap in the net will appear and everything started falling into place when I quit that job because it had to, you know, so I, I agree. I think you can't go halfway. Like the fact that I was at the call center job that alone was preventing me from succeeding in music. And so you're not going to start succeeding in music enough to replace the call center job. It's the opposite. Cut off the call center job and then you'll start having success in, in music. You know, I think it requires you to lean in all the way. To go back to something you said a second ago, it's so fucking wild that you're supporting your career through the internet during the middle of a pandemic and you're a yeah. freestyle rapper. How, how does that work? How are you doing that? A bunch of different ways. That's the cool thing that, you know, I learned from being a, a freelancing jazz drummer is, you know, I think you kind of have to have a lot of different sources of income, you know, and we're always kind of like trying to break open new doors yeah. for income and kind of juggle a lot of different possible ways of monetizing what we do. But at the end of the day, that's really what it is, is just figuring out how to monetize the craft. I love freestyling and I love making beats and I also love education and teaching. So Basically, I create a lot of content, uh, video content, you know, for, for YouTube and Facebook. So those are platforms where, you know, you can put ads on the on the videos and monetize that way. It's not great money, but it, it is churning in the background. And then a cool thing about YouTube that's sort of a little newer for me in the last five or six months is I realized that I can live stream on YouTube and it's monetized in the sense that viewers are able to donate through the stream. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of started like I had done some Facebook lives a long time ago, freestyling, but it's not monetized there in the same way. At least it wasn't at the time. And then I tried it on YouTube and I was just doing my thing, freestyling off the comments. You know, people will throw live comments and I'll incorporate them into my rap. And then all of a sudden it was like, bling, bling, 
five dollars you know from john in kansas or whatever and i was like whoa what that's cool and i uh, just kept doing and then like people would just like donate more and then people were like oh uh, what's cool about it is it highlights your comment. So people are like, oh, I really want him to rap about my comment, you know? Yeah. So uh, so it's kind of like a fair exchange, you know? They, they want to hear a freestyle about their dog or whatever, and they're able to make sure that I see that and incorporate it. And so I just started doing that like every week, and I've been able to actually build that up into something that's that's very profitable and, and um, really cool for me and fun for me and, and – uh, you know, I'll just go on and freestyle for a couple hours and that's and that's monetized. And then in addition to, to you know, content creation and live streams, I also teach private lessons um, for people who are interested in, you know, learning the techniques and, you know, the things that I think about in terms of freestyling and production and sometimes in, in like writing lyrics as well. So it's kind of a mix of different things. But, you know, I really enjoy teaching. And that's something that has stuck with me. My mom's a teacher. I come from a family of educators. And I've been lucky to have a lot of really, really great teachers in my life, you know, on the drums, especially and also in hip hop, you know, I've had a lot of great mentors and people who have taught me a lot. So I feel like uh, as a creative, you know, it's my responsibility in a sense to help pass on some of that information. So I, I teach one-on-one -on -one lessons. So between those three things right now, that's kind of the quarantine business model. Is quarantine dream. Yeah, <laughs> the quarantine dream. Yeah, quarantine yep. stream. That's right. That's right. <laughs> quarantine stream, baby. Yeah. I, I love that because it's... Um... I know a lot of creatives struggle with charging money, asking for money. And the, the beautiful thing of, of the way that that's presented is like, it's essentially busking, but online. Yeah, And exactly. so you, you're not asking for money. It's like, this is, this is people donating in order. And it's just such a, that's such a beautiful modern new system of right. supporting creators. And it does feel that there's, we're, we're in this time of where, supporting creators is feeling more important and i yeah. think people are starting to become more and, and maybe it came from video gaming because i'm noticing a lot of like live streamers are just like i mean literally just clocking up thousands of dollars as they're, yeah. as they're playing these games <laughs> I know. but it is really beautiful that we're moving to a, an area where both the creators feel okay with presenting in that way and also the patrons feel comfortable in this is my way of showing support and it's my way of feeling involved in a community and it's, it's a really beautiful system. Absolutely, man. I agree. And I think, you know, for a while, I think there was kind of like a stigma around it, you know, to a degree. You mentioned, you know, it's cool that creatives feel comfortable presenting in that way. And I think that's a big piece of it, right? Is like, you know, when I first started doing the live stream thing, I was like, oh, like, is this weird? Like, is this a weird look? Is this like corny? Like, am I like, like a now I'm like a gamer, you know, and no disrespect to gamers either. I'm, but like, I'm not from that world. So I don't know much about that. So I, and you know, there weren't other people like other rappers that I was aware of, you know, or really musicians in general, who were kind of like utilizing that platform to monetize their art. But you know, so it would be like this thing of like, a lot of times, I feel like creatives are like, it has to be presented in this really like, tight knit branded way you know of like okay i'm working on an album right now so there's just cool pics of me in the studio on my instagram so that you know i'm working you know and then eventually i'll create really awesome cover art and 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 then i'll do like this build up and roll out and video and single and release and that's when you can support 
my music when I come out with this, you know? Um, but even then, most people are just streaming it on Spotify. And, and if you're with a label or have a big team, then you're just getting a small percentage of, of a tiny bit of money that comes each time people listen to it. That's all cool. I'm not hating on that system or structure or anything. But for me, it's like what's happening now with, with Corona and where a lot more people are actually like hopping on live streams and accepting donations directly from fans. Like to me, that's just, that makes so much more sense. It's like direct monetization. It's like, okay, I'm doing something that these people appreciate, you know, these, however many people are watching this stream appreciate what I'm doing and they want to see me be able to continue to do this and to, and to scale it and to level up and to do it for more people. So they're, it's worth it to them to give $1, $5, $10, whatever it is in that moment. And it's like direct to fan monetization of the art. And um, so to me, it just makes a lot of sense and it's dope. And I think getting past sort of, in a weird way, coronavirus, as, as terrible as it is, um, on, on the positive side, I think it has pushed a lot of creatives past that sort of like stigma of feeling like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. I can't do this. It's a weird look for my brand. And instead of being like, oh, this is great. Like this is me at my home with no middleman, so to speak. I mean, depending on which platform you use, you know, they, they take a percentage or whatever. But some people are just posting their their PayPal or their, you know, Venmo and, and getting most of the money direct. So it's just a great way to interact directly with fans and get feedback from fans live. This is what we like. This is what we're not feeling, you know? And so it's dope. I'm excited about it. I'm so glad that the internet has gone this way because I think back to like being a kid, having like Napster, like get the idea of free music. It was the first time like, oh, the internet is just free everything. I can download a movie for free. Like everything's just free. And like so many people just putting out content consistently and not paying for anything. I can go on Instagram scroll for hours obviously i'll get a few ads but everything is just free 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 i'm not it's not costing me anything so it's so nice that people do actually come out and be like look actually i appreciate this here's some money like like busking as david said before it's like that you're walking past someone you appreciate what they're doing and you kind of show your appreciation for that and i think it's more than just like clicking a like button like sharing it with someone it's like here's like a genuine I appreciate this. I find value in this. So please take right. this to say, like, as a thank you. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's, it's like you say, it's more than a like or a share. I mean, you know, in this modern era, that stuff is really valuable too, you know, for, for, yeah. for better or worse, right? But it's more than that because it's, to me, it's like saying as a fan, I want you to be able to continue doing this, yeah. you know? And it's like saying, I want yeah. you to be able to continue focusing your energy full time on this. And I understand that that's impossible if you're not making money from doing this. So, you know, and I don't know if they're consciously thinking that, you know, every yeah. time, but I think that does play into it. And, and at the end of the day, that's the effect that it has is people donating during the stream is like them saying, this is dope. We want more of this. So we're funding this. It's kind of like they're funding the project, yeah. you know, it's yeah. crowdfunding, but, um, but it's voluntary. Because I find that there's a lot of creators who I follow on YouTube who, if they release like a preset pack or something, like, I'll buy it. Like, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't ever right. use it. But it's my way to say, like, here's some money for doing for you to keep going on. And totally. again, I probably don't even think that. It's just like, a, I've got so much value from this. Like, I'm paying right. for a Netflix subscription that's not giving me as much value as this person on the internet who I've never met and gives me free content every single day. Yeah. Totally. I love that. I, I guess with your content, because you mentioned kind of the way that a lot of other 
specifically like like musicians go about that and with with Spotify and all of that stuff because there's so few people in the world that can actually do what you do for most people in hip hop like unless they're really prolifically writing constantly they sure. would have to have because obviously they're going to make that album they're going to have 12 songs they're not going to be able to jump on a live stream unless they've got a huge back catalog whereas right seeing as you can like someone can say polka dot pajamas and then you're and then you're going it's right. like you're in the unique position of like you don't know what's going to happen and it's just like the mic's on let's go right that's a great point that's a great point i mean if if you're not an improviser then it's not as obvious how the live streaming platform would benefit you i do think that like if you're a big a bigger artist then you could just hop on live and do q and a's and people would probably throw donations at you yeah, just yeah. because you know you're huge and they're excited to see you know you could snoop dogg could just smoke a blunt on the on the, <laughs> on the live and probably like make a couple couple g's you know but that's a good point for like up and coming artists i'm I'm fortunate that live streaming is extremely well tailored to my craft. And, you know, it was funny, too, because, like, I started doing the freestyle videos and people would be like, oh, yeah, like, I think there's, like, a Facebook Live feature now. You know, it was, like, kind of like the beginning of, like, Facebook Live. And people would say, like, maybe you should try hopping on there and freestyling off of the comments. And it was all kind of new. And, like, there were a lot of, like, kind of glitches with it. And there was a learning curve and people were trying to figure out how to utilize it. And I think like at, this was like in, I guess, like 2017, the beginning of 2017, you know, they might have had a live feature for a while. I'm not sure the exact timeline, but the, the vibe around it at that time was like it, it felt very new and not a lot of people were utilizing it. And I think a lot of brands, especially like non-musical brands, were like, how do we use this? Because in most cases, it's worse for them. You know, it'd be better because they have more control over the brand image and everything if they just create a pre-made video. So the live thing is like a lot riskier, you know, and they were trying to figure out like how that made sense and tied into their brand. But they wanted to figure out how to do that because it was like Facebook's new flagship feature and they were pushing the live yeah. content really hard. So it was like a algorithm hack or whatever, like just by creating live content, you're kind of like getting pushed up in the algorithm. So they were trying to figure it out. And I was kind of like, whoa, that's crazy. Like for me, nothing could be better for my brand than, than this opportunity to just go li hold my phone, press live, and people will throw words at me the same way they do in my videos. But now I can do it from home and I can access way more people all at once. So I'm very lucky in, in the sense that what I do is almost, it, it's perfect for, for live streaming, you know, because it requires live interaction and it requires randomness, you know, so th that's the best way to achieve that. Definitely. So I'm sure you get a lot of kind of comments and praise from people talking about like how talented you are and about how like because you're like kind of top of your game. And I would imagine if it's anything like uh, the comments that we get with our art, I would imagine mm. that people assume that you came out of the womb rapping and right. that you were naturally kind of just a gifted freestyler. Is that the case? No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But yeah, people say that all the time, you know, um, I'll do a freestyle and people will be like, wow, man, like, that's crazy. How does it feel to be just blessed with this incredible gift, you know, and they're very well intentioned and they mean it as a compliment. Yeah. So, you know, of course I say thank you, you know, but whether or not I say this out loud depends on the situation, but, but 
the real response is, you know, I wouldn't know how that feels to be blessed with an amazing gift necessarily. I mean, yeah, I, I, my body vibrated when Howlin' Wolf came on. So I think I, there's, there's some music in me, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, but no, man, my first freestyles were trash, you know, for sure. Like they, they were not good at all. But my first freestyles were when I was 12 years old and I'm 30 now. And I, I've just done it more and more and more starting from when I was 12 to where I am now. And I was lucky too because like some of my best friends back then were were really obsessed with hip hop as well. My friend Brady, we found out that you could take turntable lessons, like DJ lessons basically at this nonprofit called Ethos in Portland, Oregon where we're from. So he was like, "Yo, I got to do this." You know, cuz he would be like with the cloth covered binders, you know, that we used to have in school with the zipper yeah, 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 and it, yeah. it was like textured cloth. And he would take like the tip of the pencil and like scratch it on the cloth like of the binder sound. to like yeah. like so he was like scratching like that while I was like doing my little rhymes or whatever with my Alvin and the Chipmunk voice in sixth grade like prepubescent yo on the mic I thought, you know doing that and so when we saw when he saw like oh wow they held out a pamphlet in school it was like you can take official lessons in this so we were like yo maybe you could get your parents on board because it's like kind of legit now you know like and and so he begged for turntables and got like some cheap starter pack turntables from Guitar Center. We got like a $20 Radio Shack mic and plugged it in. And just like every day after school, it was like me, him, and, and a couple other homies. And we would just go go over there like every day and, and try to freestyle. And we were watching like BET, like, um, you know, like 106 and Park, they would have these freestyle battles and stuff. And we were checking that out and watching like Rap City, The Basement with Big Tigga and all them and like, just freaking out, you know, about about what cats were able to do with their words. And just the fact that like, you know, without a lot of production, really, like without a lot of bells and whistles, no pyrotechnics, there's not a whole band on stage, you know, it's just like a guy and his words and just blowing people's minds. And so we were just like, just shook by it, you know. And so even though we, we sucked at it, so, to, you know, technically, like we were not good we were just having so much fun practicing it and we were all at that beginner level. So it was like a safe space. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was, it was perfect. You know, it's 100% something that I learned how to do and that I practiced and got better at. And I think that's the key. What was the first time you got out of that safe space into like basically your first audience that said, that's good. So ethos that music school would have these like recital concert kind of things. So like mm -hmm. there was one like at the Salvation Army, you know, in town, they like rented out the parking lot or it was like, you know, a nonprofit like yeah. fundraiser type deal. So we were in the parking lot and I went out there and like did my little rhymes and stuff. And Brady was playing beats and scratching. And, and um, but that was all like written, you know, um, I wasn't freestyling live yet, but we did a bunch of little concerts like that when we were kids. And we got some cool opportunities through Ethos. We got to open up for this famous band in Portland called Pink Martini at the Aladdin Theater. It was sold out. I think that's like a 600 person room or yeah. something. We were just up there like 13 years old, like, yo, this is crazy. But it was all it was all through Ethos. So shout out to Ethos. They would just hook it up for, for the kids, you know, and, and give us those opportunities. And I think that helped a lot just to get in front of people and do it in, in a way that felt real, you know. But yeah, I, I didn't start freestyling in front of people till a lot later. Like basically the way that that progressed was in high school, you know, when kids started like 
experimenting with like you know drugs and alcohol and stuff and then parents leave town and people would have a house party and stuff like that when kids were starting to be teenagers you know we would we would be at some of these parties you know and somebody would start a cypher basically or we, we would start freestyling so for that that was kind of the first time it was like okay people outside the immediate community of homies who do this with me mm-hmm. are hearing us do this and reacting positively like they dig it you know and it's a great vibe and 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 that was perfect because it was like it was still a safe space it's just a house party it's yeah, all just yeah. home, like people you know from school and stuff but you know some of the the ciphers would get really cracking and there would just be a bunch of people in there and like this whole thing and just i mean i love that energy you know of the of the house party cipher and we just had hundreds of those you know through our high school years you know we we would start doing shows and stuff doing our music our written music and we would start to like incorporate like a freestyle segment within the set you know so like five or ten minutes in the middle of the set would be freestyle and started doing that so yeah it was gradual the unfolding of like the freestyle as like okay this is something i'm confident in and and can actually attempt to do in front of an audience that was that was really gradual because it's scary to do that you know uh you always been like a confident kid or did, did that kind of evolve over time that definitely evolved i was a really shy kid yeah like even you know back in like high school when when kids did start like hanging out and having kickbacks like that with boys and girls and stuff you know whatever it was like i was just always super quiet didn't really talk you know like i remember feeling like damn like why am i like that like when am i gonna like how how come i never know what to say and i had friends who were like social very like confident socially you know and we're just like always like you know flirting and killing it and like i was like damn man like i wish i could be like that guy you know like so yeah i I didn't have any confidence like that but it built over time and kind of music was like my outlet for that side of my personality you know that i could understand it's like Mm -hmm. okay i go on stage and like i have this time and you know it's like the spotlight is on me or whatever and and this is the moment where i'm going to do something that you know people tell me i'm kind of good at at least you know so hopefully you know so that made sense to me but i wasn't comfortable really like in social scenarios and then oddly enough like the call center job as much as i i hated it i learned a lot from it my girlfriend makes fun of me all the time because like i constantly reference i'm like you know what i learned that from the call center. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's so like actually like it was great you know like at the end of the day it was great but um that taught me a lot man about like how to talk to people you know because mm-hmm. like the first section of the phone call is the rapport building section you know which is basically just like flirting or like networking it's all the same you know yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. small talk with people and sort of like pushing a conversation forward and pulling questions out of thin air and like always having the next thing to say mm-hmm. and never feeling like you get stuck and you're like there's nothing to say anymore it's like I learned and I got into the flow of that and it became kind of fun. I mean, I hated being there, but it was like, oh, well, you know, I'm learning how to talk to people. And I I think I benefited a lot from that. It opened me up. And I think the types of videos I make now, like for my Gorilla Bars series on YouTube, where I'm going out in public and rapping for strangers, I would never be able to do that without having had the call center experience and learning that like, oh, it's not that it's not that bad to go talk to strangers and get rejected it's mm-hmm. not that bad like you know life life goes on you know and, and you know it's fine you know you could approach 100 people and get rejected 99 times 
and and then the hundredth person, something really special might happen, and then and then it was worth it. So, so when you do yeah. those things out in the street, how often do you get rejected? Quite a lot, quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, probably like at least half the time, if not more. And it depends on where we are. You know, some places we've gone, we just like we're like, wow, the people here are really feeling it. You know, and, and we have more success. But um, we try to. Uh, so a couple things. One, I'm always super like cool when I approach people and I'm never, uh, we never are like bitter or weird, you know? So like that, that part is huge. (laughs) That part is huge. It's like, you gotta, it's like, I'm asking a lot of them and I know that. And if I was just like going about my day, not wanting to be a part of anything necessarily, there's plenty of times where if Harry Mack came up to me, I would be like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So It's like I, I I give them that, you know, like you can you can be that way and I'm not going to be like, oh, whatever, you're missing out, bro. You know, I'm always like, cool. you know I, so I try to be super, super respectful. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is we try to sort of like assess from a distance as best we can which groups make sense to approach and which ones don't, because I think that's the biggest determining factor. Like usually I'm very confident that it, it's going to work um, when it does ahead of time you know yeah. or i'm like ah this is a bit of a reach but let's try it and those are the ones that often like it doesn't work so you can tell it's like we're looking for people that are already laughing for one you know or already kind of loud like if the group is already like somebody's yelling somebody's laughing like it's high energy it's like okay okay they, they might be they might have an appetite for what we're about to do if everyone's just straight faced, looking serious and upset you know <laughs> or uh there's this other thing where it's like people are too cool for it, you know, mm-hmm. and you can tell you're like, wow, those people look awesome. But like also they're a little too cool for what we're trying to do, <laughs> you know, because you have to be like you have to surrender to it. And, you know, you're on camera and you're reacting. And so you have to kind of like be cool with just whatever happens, happens. But I mean, yeah. I mean, you mentioned there the the special moments make the videos. It's it's how the people react to you and i've noticed that you're very in tune to that because i was watching one where you're you there's a a huge line of people they must be queuing for something and you work your way down the line and i mean you must have got to like 20 or 30 people like walking down this line and when there's that that kind of too cool for school dudes that are kind of standing there and they're not and they're not vibing off of you i noticed that you'll say something about their shoes and then you'll quickly move on and then when someone's giving it back to you then you're like okay, now he's going in his bag and, and like this guy's nodding his head and you're picking up on all of the things that they're doing because then it's it's a collaborative experience between exactly. the two of you. Yeah, it's an energy exchange, right? So like, I mean, you can see in the video, like when the person I'm rapping with is getting hype, I'm mm-hmm. getting hype. And it's yeah. literally like, I'm almost a mirror to whoever's in front of me. And so, and again, I, I, I got to stop doing this, but that kind of came from the call center too, of like, I would, I would reflect back the person's energy on Mm -hmm. the phone, you know, like whatever their, the kind of lingo they use, I'm using that lingo, you know, and that's kind of like a sales thing, I guess, which is not how I think about music, by the way. But I think it's related in a sense where it's like, I am reflecting back whatever energy they're giving me. I'm giving back to them and it's building that way, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, like in that line, that's an interesting scenario because they're kind of a captive audience. Generally, we try not to do that. You know, it's more like because uh, like they, they don't really have a choice. Um, but I have done a few things like that, like rap on a subway car or like rap on the bus. You know, like it's, it's fun to try to push the, the limits of, of like what we can get away with and just see. 
but yeah, in that case, it's always kind of like a take it or leave it vibe at first. Like I'll do like one little line about your outfit. And if, if you don't react at all, it's like, cool, like moving on, you know? And then as soon as someone like latches onto it or it's like, oh, what is this? And they're curious about it. You're like, oh, okay, let's see. And then you just, and then eventually it can, it can turn into something really awesome. So that's what I love about freestyling too, in general, is that it is an energy exchange and like you when you're there in the moment with it while it's happening it's just this unbelievable um the amount of energy that it can build in the moment with other people is unbelievable you know even in the high school ciphers at parties i was talking about you know that was kind of like the first time i experienced that and i just got hooked on that you know and and it's very addictive you know that kind of energy is like really difficult to create and, and you know there's only certain scenarios where you're able to build that level of like live energy exchange with other humans, complete strangers, Mm -hmm. you know, who know nothing about each other and they're in the same space and they're collaboratively, like you say, building this energy together. That's like contagious and people can feel it. And it's hard to, it's undeniable. You know, you couldn't be like, yeah, there was nothing happening. Mm -hmm. There was nothing interesting happening. It's like, no, there was something really important happening. It was crazy. I, I had to look at it, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, it, that, that's what I really, really love about it. And the fact that we're able to just turn a camera to it and show it, I never even knew that that would work. But, but it does work because of people's faces and the way that they're reacting. It kind of like tells the story through the camera. So, yeah. Do you think you would still do it if you couldn't ever see other people? Like, do, is, is that reaction such a part of it that that's kind of integral to the art? I think it is inte- integral to the art. Yeah, I do. But I I also love freestyling and I do it all the time at home without reactions. So it's a great question. I don't know. You know, I don't know if I would be as driven to work on it as much as I do if I couldn't eventually go out and show it to people and and get a reaction back. You know what I mean? Like uh, I practice all the time without reactions, but maybe a lot of the drive to do that is because I felt the energy of of how it works with other people yeah because all it takes is that one person to be like oh that's sick and then it's like oh that makes it all worthwhile 100 percent, man 100 percent. and you know and also ciphering with other mcs you know like if i couldn't that's that's its own energy as well you know when you're just passing the mic around or back and forth and and building energy with other rappers if i couldn't do that that would be a real drag you know i think music is meant to connect with people Mm -hmm. and form connections with other people and whether that's through records you know, and, and studio creations or live. But um, for me, I really love the live element. And like I said, you know, my background is as a jazz drummer. So I just really like the energy of live creation is really unique, mm-hmm. I think, you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, so I'm all about it. Yeah. Has it taken you a while to kind of establish a, a formula that you know is going to work? Because obviously you've got your body of work, like you've been work, like you've been freestyling since twelve years old. So by the yeah. time you dropped your first video, you were confident that you were going to be, you were going to be good at it. Yeah. But like, we because we often talk about like dealing with going viral. And yeah, correct correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you go viral off of your first video? Basically, yeah, I, I went low key viral off my first video. Um, so the, were you were you expecting that? And like, and then what was the fallout of that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. So um, basically, in the end, I benefited from being too scared to show people my rapping for so many years. So what I mean is, 
I have my group in high school, middle school, high school, whatever, me and my guys. And, you know, we, we had our group and we did our albums and did our shows and stuff. And that was cool, you know, and it was it was a family. So we were all in it together. And that gives you a lot of confidence, you know. And then once I went off to college and was playing drums and stuff, I didn't have that like family of co-creators in the hip hop space anymore, you know. So I was just really focused on the drums and playing jazz and playing gigs and I was still so obsessed with hip hop and rapping all the time. And, you know, my friend community knew that I did this freestyle thing and they loved it. And they were always pushing me like, yo, you should do something with this. And, you know, I would always find a reason not to, you know, just making excuses or, you know, being lazy, which is really just I was just afraid because I no longer had that family of co-creators. So for a long, long time, it's like I'm putting all this energy into working on rap, studying rap loving rap making beats you know doing all the pieces but never releasing it and never showing anyone and i think a lot of creatives get stuck in that space you know and it's really kind of a miserable space to be in i mean it's really difficult you know and it's just a lot of self-doubt and you know i'll never be good enough what will people think if they hear this why is this valuable comparing yourself to you know sitting in my room comparing myself to nas you know (laughs) it's like Jesus, you know, I'm never going to be Nas, you know. Um, And so I was stuck there for a long time. And so what ended up happening was, like, I had been developing this massive skill set just in a cave, basically, you know, um, in isolation, just like really putting the time in. And then my friend Jacob Mann, um, shout out to Jacob Mann, he's an incredible jazz pianist and composer here in LA. And uh, we went to college together. And he basically tricked me into becoming Harry Mack again, you know, and he was like, hey, man, I'm dropping my big band project is a jazz big band album. And he was like, you know, so I'm trying to do creative promo. I remixed one of the songs and made it into a hip hop track. Like, would you be down to just like freestyle over this track, you know, to help me do promo for my album? Maybe we'll just like you can drive my car down Sunset Boulevard and, you know, I'll film you freestyling. And I was like, dope, let's do it. And so we, we just did one take. I drove down Sunset Boulevard and just freestyled, you know, for him as a favor. And then we got lunch afterwards. You know, it took like 45 minutes. And um, he posted it like the next Saturday. And I had been asleep for a nap. And then I woke up from my nap. And my roommate at the time, Laura, was like, bro, uh, you're going viral right now. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> and uh, she was like, yo, you're like number one on Reddit videos right now. And I was like, what is that? You know, I mean, I was not an Internet person at all. Yeah. You know, um, this was in this was the very end of 2016, December, late December 2016. And so she pulled it up and showed it to me. She was like, yo, a lot of people like this video that you're in. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then, like, we pulled it up on YouTube. And, like, that night, you know, it was like a Friday night. So some friends came over and we were, like, drinking and stuff. And I was just refreshing the video and it would just go up, like, a few thousand views at a time. And I was like, oh my God. And like, you're looking at it and you're like excited, but you're like scared too. You're like, what is this? You know, like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, like, whoa. Like I just did a little favor for my boy and now this thing is happening. And so, you know, it goes up fast and then it falls off. And so like, you know, the next day you couldn't even find it on Reddit. It, you know, it completely dropped off the list, but uh, it basically garnered a hundred thousand views overnight. And I was just like, wow, you know, it it just lit a fire in me to be like, you know, I'm so taken aback that this many people outside of like my community of friends 
who would always tell me my shit was dope, but like I didn't know if they were just saying that because they knew me. Mm. But it was like, wow, like this is evidence that there's an audience for this. And I was like, and I wasn't even really trying. You know, I mean, I was trying to do a good job for my, I was trying to do a good job for my friend. Obviously, I did my best, but like, I, it's not like I've been putting a lot of effort into making that part of my career excel. And so I was like, you know what? Like, let me just start my own YouTube channel and see what I can build. And you know, my friend Jacob already had like five or six thousand subscribers on his YouTube channel, so that gave it a boost, you yeah. know, to get a lot of eyes on it right away. I had none, so I started and I just set the goal to do you know, one video a week. And I maintained that I said, no matter what, I'm going to do one video a week, you know, even if it's just me in my bedroom freestyling, you know, I started doing my own videos, and they just get a couple hundred views, and then maybe a 1000 views. Oh, hell yeah, you know, we're getting something yeah. and then kept posting my own content, and trying to push myself to be less and less comfortable with the concept, because I realized like, wow, if we push it a little bit, it does better. You know, um, so it was like, OK, let's do one at the liquor store around the corner. Like, let's ask, dude, if we can, you know, he knows us. So let's just ask him if, like, I can roll through the store and freestyle about, you know, we didn't really explain it. I was just like, yo, man, I rap. Can you film me on his phone while I rap? And I was like, sure. And he did like a full on, like six minute, you know, go through the whole store, grabbing bottles, rapping about stuff, you know, and and that one did its thing. And then eventually it was like, let's go out in public and do it. And that was in February 2017, and we went to Venice Beach and did the video that really went viral. And, and, and that one like, is sort of what busted the door open for me to have a lot of the opportunities that I've had and to sort of build my platform as Harry Mack. And what was, so that was a long story, but basically the reason that that video just took off was because it was like, this dude came out of nowhere with this advanced skill set, kind of. It was like people didn't see yeah. my journey to get there because yeah. I was too scared to let them in for so long that I was just caved away in a hole trying to get as sick as possible at freestyling because I loved it, right? You know, because I'm passionate about it. And then it was like when I was like, oh, my friend just tricked me into showing you all and now <laughs> I'm, I'm fired up and I'm inspired and I'm a little more confident and I'm ready to show you all. It had this effect of like, this is nuts. Who is this dude? So in, in, a, in a way, I kind of benefited from being afraid. I think what's really interesting what you said there is the fact that like living on the edge of discomfort and constantly putting yourself out of that comfort zone like but not too far just enough so it's slightly like ugh, not quite comfortable with that I think like yeah. too, too many people stay in the same zone they don't push themselves that little bit further and I think what you said there is perfect because it's like you don't need to completely throw yourself into something you're scared and don't want to do just ease it because every time right. it will get a little bit more comfortable and then you'll find you'll look back in a year and be like, I could never have done this a year ago. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I nowadays I look out for that. Like if I'm not afraid ever, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, then I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. You know, and you can kind of like you, you know, when you're when the stagnation has come and it's when you're just really really comfortable and every day feels easy mm -hmm. you know so it's like whenever that's the case it's like okay i have to i have to try something and leaning into the fear i think is is super helpful as a creative even though it's really hard to do it can kind of become fun after you do it a few times and then you reap the benefit of it yeah it's like oh that was cool like i should keep doing that so was uh going to and and freestyling at a comedy jam is that one of your examples of kind of putting yourself out because obviously a comedy jam, like that you're you're not doing comedy and they're not expecting a freestyle rapper. So I guess that was probably like one of those uncomfortable situations. 
Yeah. Crazy enough. Yeah. So I, right. So I'm part of this show called Glazed in Los Angeles with my good friend, Mike Glazer. And it's like a cannabis themed um, comedy show in LA at the Hollywood Improv. I get more nervous for that than anything else that I do. It's weird, man. And anytime, like even before that, there were a couple times when I was like asked to freestyle like at like a comedy showcase. And I was just terrified. The first time I ever did that, I was like texting my sister. I like had to do something. I was like, yo, I'm so nervous right now. <laughs> um, she was like, cool, I'm in Portland. Like, what? <laughs> like um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's wild, man. The comedy energy is kind of like intense, you know? Yeah. Um, com- comedians are on some other shit, dude. Like music sessions are like everyone's so cool you know it's just like oh what's up oh how you doing oh, great set yeah like you know oh man we got i feel like something. a comedy audience just sits down and is like okay impress me motherfucker exactly. <laughs> and then they just look at you <laughs> exactly yeah that's the thing if you're on a music gig like as long as there's like a good groove happening or whatever people don't have to be paying exact attention to you all the yeah. time they might just be to buy the bar oh, doing this yeah pop their head to it it's yeah yeah and that's like a sign of like low key approval. You know, mm-hmm. that's like, oh, okay, you're doing something right. So it's not like full investment in like, what are you going to do next? And yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, bro. It's like the, I go up there and there's a bunch of people looking at me. Like, what are you going to do? And so all of a sudden I realized like with, with, com- with comedy, there's this build up to this punchline, right? And so the punchlines are like the events, you know, and they're creating these events. And I'm like, whoa, like I have to make these events. The thing is, if I could just chill out and take a couple breaths and remember, and you know, I'm getting better at it. It's cool. I get through it. But if it's like, I do create events, you know, automatically, uh, intuitively while yeah. I'm freestyling. I create moments, but I never feel so much pressure that I have to, you know, as when I'm <laughs> yeah. as when I'm doing the comedy thing. So it kind of messes me up mentally sometimes. But uh, but I love it. Yeah, and again, it's it's just it, that that's why you stay sharp is because right. you're you're constantly looking for ways to challenge yourself and you're not going to grow un- until you do that. Definitely, definitely. And I'm obsessed with practicing, you know. I'm I'm obsessed with uh, and I, that's it's been that way for a long time, you know. And I think it has to do with like, you know, me being shy like I was saying and, you know, sometimes, you know, I wasn't the most like comfortable socially. So it was like cool man, get home from school, go down in the basement and play drums for 3 hours mm. until, you know, I have to go up and eat dinner. And, uh, you know, I, I've basically been practicing for hours a day since then, you know, since the high school days. And so I always feel like there's so much more for me to work on and so much stuff I got to get better at in terms of the craft. And that will never run out. So, like, I'm practicing freestyling all the time and really trying to, like, pinpoint my weaknesses and work on them and be like, yo, let me try to get better at this in an organized way. That to me is really, really fun and kind of meditated for me. And that's kind of my alone time and my space to just be, throw on the lab coat and be the mad scientist, you know, and try to decode how I can become the best freestyler of all, you know, not to be the, not to like on some ego stuff of like, I have to be the best, but just because it's exciting to me to, to try to get better. Yeah, it's more of know? an internal thing rather than an external thing. Like you don't need someone else to tell you you're the best in the world. It's you just need to feel that yourself exactly exactly and you're addicted to the process of of getting there yeah like i wouldn't want you know like you know in the matrix when they like they plug the thing in his back and then he comes out of it and he's like i know kung fu yeah i i I, like i wouldn't want that for freestyling i would be tempted if someone was like yo you can level you up you know but um 
but yeah, I, I am addicted to the process. Like practice, you know, to me has meant different things at different phases. When I was a kid, practice was the thing that my dad forced me to do on violin that I kind of hated and would yeah. cry about sometimes, you know, when I was seven. And then in high school, it was like, oh, practice is like how I can like get better at the drums, which is like an instrument that I want to become better at, you know. And now it's like, oh, practice is like, what I do every day, like almost like how meditation people are like, it's the practice of meditation. It's just, it doesn't mean like you're trying to get really, really good at meditation. You know, it means that you do it every day, that mm-hmm. it's, it's like the practice of eating healthy, you know, like the practice of like building strong relationships with other humans. It's like, that's the practice of music for me is like, um, no matter what else is going on in the world or in my life, um, I'm always making time to practice because I love the process and it's a part of my daily expression of living. That's beautiful, man. (laughs) So you obviously have had like strong mentors in your life and now like, and you're obviously that's an important part of, of your practice now is teaching other people. Like, like what's the kind of main thing that you would try and get across to someone who was like, maybe they weren't confident or they wanted to start something like what would be your like main piece of advice? The biggest you know, challenge that people face when they're trying to, for example, my students who are trying to learn how to freestyle, the hardest part is starting. And I think that, you know, you'll say, I'll say that to people like, they're like, oh, what's, what's like, what's the secret? And it's like, man, the secret is that you have to start freestyling every day and you have to start today, you know? And they're like, wait, what? Like, oh, like, no, obviously, but like, what's the actual secret to like being good at it? And it's like, no, that is the secret to being good at it. The reason that it's so hard for most people to start is because they don't sound good when they start, right? And that this is just applying to music, which is the world yeah. I'm in. But if you're trying to start any new endeavor, in uh, any new creative endeavor, or pretty much any kind of endeavor in life, you're not good at it when you first start. And so that's the problem is that, you know, you... you start trying to freestyle and you hear your own voice and you don't like the way that it sounds. But I tell all my students and I used to tell my drum students this, you know, if you want to sound great, you have to be willing to sound bad. And so many people are unwilling to sound bad. And so when they first start, they're like, Ooh, that's terrible. That makes me uncomfortable. And they stop. And it's like, you need to try. And it's very difficult. And I can sit here and say, you need to do this. And it's like, okay. But um, I, I recognize that it is extremely difficult, but the goal is to try to get into like, you know, a childlike playful state. When I was a little kid, you know, brief tangent, my, my dad brought me to this music store cause he was looking at something. I don't remember why we were there. I was tiny. You know, this is one of my first memories. Like he's holding my hand so that I can like walk and stay up type thing. And then I like, you know, was looking at this pedal and the guy at the music store was like, yo, you want to press, press that down and see what it does. And I was like, ah. and like my dad, like moved me over towards it and put my little foot on it. And I was like too weak to like press the pedal down. So like the, he like pushed me down and the pedal went down and it was a bass drum pedal. It turns out and the beater went into the <laughs> bass drum and it went and it vibrated up my whole little body, you know, and it was just like, and I was just like, yes, that is it. Like, that's the thing, you know? And I wasn't like, did I do it right? 
You know, I wasn't like, was that good? (laughs) Like, was that the right way to play the bass drum? I didn't even know it was called a bass drum. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea how my foot made that thing happen. But I was like, that's the fucking shit, man. Like, that is it. I don't have to question it or wonder what it is. And so I always go back to that as the example of the headspace you have to try to be in when you're starting a new creative endeavor. It's like you're finger painting. You're throwing paint on the canvas. Little kids in preschool finger painting are not like, is this good? (laughs) Half the fun of it is the fact that they're getting their hands messy. They don't even give a shit. Like, you know, then they happen to slap the canvas. Okay, I guess that's the art, you know? And and that's really the only way that it can work is if you're com- if you're trying to be completely non-judgmental. And that's a lot harder as an adult, you know. When you're a kid, it's yeah. easy to get into the childlike, playful state because you're a child. But I think that's really the thing is like if you can try to get in that space and stop thinking about good or bad, it just is, you know. And just start freestyling and whatever, you know. I always tell people just make sounds, repeat stuff. Yo, I'm right here. Yo, yo, check it out. Da da with the bow, bow, blah, with the bow, with my mouth, da da da. And I'm, you know, that's freestyling. You know, eventually you'll replace those sounds with real words, maybe in a month, maybe not. You know, who cares? Just have fun with it and and just start because that's. If I could listen to the first freestyles that I did when I was 12, they wouldn't be much different from what I just did. Mm-hmm. You know. And I'm so thankful that I didn't stop and say, oh, man, I suck. Like, well, guess I'll try something else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Thank you so much. This has been like a, like a masterclass. It's been so good. And man. I swear, like, if we lived in the same city, I just feel like we'd be friends. Sure. Um, Hell so, yeah. so, yeah, this has been dope, man. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online and check out your work? Yeah, um, I'm everywhere, uh, social media, uh, so Harry Mack across the board, which is spelled H-A-R-R-Y-M-A-C-K. Um, so I guess my YouTube channel is kind of the big one right now, youtube.com slash Harry Mack. But I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Harry Mack. And uh, you can check me out there. Yeah, I, man, thank you guys so much for having me on here. This has been such a blast. I've really enjoyed chatting with you guys. And once all this corona stuff calms down, we got to... <laughs> try to get in the same space and build together yeah for sure man yeah harry mack thank you very much cheers thank you guys man peace thanks so much for listening to get any value from these episodes it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it you can always reach out to us on instagram at rebels create or head over to creativerebels.co and remember always be creating see ya